Hello and welcome to the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We come to you during some pretty uncertain times, but as we spoke about last week, there's always tons of opportunity when there's chop in the water. Things are changing, and if you're in a position to take advantage of that, now is a terrific time to start a company. With that as a background, today we have a really interesting guest, Christoph Birch, the founder of a number of companies, but his most recent is called Vejo, spelled V-E-J-O. It's a fascinating company in the personalized nutrition space. We get into that, as well as talking through some of the other companies that he started and sold. We talk about the differences between B2B and B2C startups, the types of risks you need to be ready and willing to take as an entrepreneur. We talk about building a team, raising funding, all sorts of stuff. It's honestly one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. It's fun, it's upbeat, and it's very, very real. Just a heads up, if you've got kids or something listening to it too, he does curse a fair amount. It's a really fun thing to listen to right now. I apologize for the fuzzy connection. Hopefully it doesn't detract from all the value Christoph is bringing. And as always, if you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, now is really the time. You're sitting at home nights and weekends. I know you are. You're not allowed to go anywhere. If you want to build your startup idea, head to gettacklebox.com or just email me at brian at gettacklebox.com. I hope everyone's staying safe and I hope you all enjoy this fun, inspirational, little crazy conversation. Have a good week. Thanks for taking the time today. I am very excited to talk to you. Hey, good morning. <laughs> um, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty to get going, but we are finally in sync and we are lucky because there's a lot that I want to talk about. So for our guests, what we tend to do is start with the story of the company that you're working on now, but you've got a really, really interesting background. Um, you've started multiple companies. So I thought maybe a good place to start was just with your experience as an entrepreneur and sort of how this, how you were bitten with the bug and, and how you've come to, to Veja. I mean, I'm not the youngest guy, so I'm 44. So that gives you some space to build some companies and <laughs> uh, was never employed. So just like also somehow the black sheep of the family, you know, when you look into <laughs> my family, everybody that was employed and just like they did it in a very traditional way. I started my first company right out of uh, university yeah. and, and and it was a software business. And um, I mean, the company is still around. So this is also something which is just super important for me. Build a structure that it actually lasts for a long period of time. Mm. Yeah, I started in 2002, uh, a fashion company, which has like now still like a couple of hundred retailers. Still around 2008, I started the world market leader for, it's like short format video, explanation video stuff. Offices now around the world. That was like my first life as a as a entrepreneurial driven guy, and then I went like what a lot of us or operators do. They think you know the grass is always more green on the <laughs> other side. So I switched a little bit into the investment side mm. and started an investment fund by myself with my own money. But I have to say you know when you when you start to write tickets between 150 or 250 thousand in multiple startups and and you feel that. Other people just have a different understanding to 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 build a business and to build a company. Mm. Then then you just realize it's it's and you are also somehow a different risk taker, you know. Mm. So investors should be more risk averse. You as mm. a guy who business is you are less risk averse. Mm -hmm. So so I'm less a good investor. I'm for sure a good operator. Mm. That's what I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I I wonder how your perspective changed. So after you've started all these companies, you've 
sort of understood what it what it takes. Were you really optimistic and bullish with all the startups you saw, or were you like more pessimistic? I feel like I've seen the lumps of all these startups at this point. So when I see a startup, I'm almost I'm, I'm almost biased to say like, well, I've seen this fail in the past, so I'm I'm more pessimistic. How did you approach it? You know, for me, the problem is like I just see all the time just the best in the people. Mm. You know. So I don't come from the side where I see the risks. For me, it's just like I see the opportunity. Mm. And and if you just like become an investor and you usually raise the money from people which just like overhand you the capital that, that you take care of with your investment, it's just like a different type of person or personality mm. you have to have. I'm definitely not that. <laughs> um, that's, that's really cool. Um, the last thing I'll ask about the previous startups before we get into Vejo is you started companies... It's very cross-disciplinary. So there were a bunch of different focuses for what you were doing. How do you sort of evaluate whether an idea is worth pursuing or not in these in these multiple disciplines? It was seriously more curiosity and, and the people which came together in the beginning. Because, I mean, one thing which I value the most is actually, you know, the people which you have around you when, mm-hmm. when you build company. So it, it was less like from a strategic perspective where you say, hey, this is like, you know, this is the this is the idea which I want to do. And, and, and it fits perfectly into everything. It was more a group of people came together. We shared the same idea, just the same vision, and we made it happen mm. together. Did you have the same people or similar people at, at various startups? Did you take them with you? No, it's actually, it's actually every time somehow a new group of people. Mm. Obviously, in Germany, I have a guy who's with me since, since ever, and he's still overseeing all my activities back in Germany. So he's, I mean, there are people there with me since... 21 years, but wow. some of them just stayed in, in the structure with the idea which we created back in the days, and and they are happy with the with the with the current environment. So for them, there is no need to to move with me into the next company, you know. Mm. And, and especially when I moved to the US to to build Veo, that's just like such a break. So it's just hard to to take some Germans with you and just mm. like also from a mindset, it's just so different over there. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So when when did you decide and how did you decide that you were going to start Vejo and you were going to leave Germany, come here and do it? I mean, I met like five and a half years ago, a friend of mine who runs one of the biggest food and beverage ingredients companies in Europe. Hmm. It's like traditional family owned own company and, and he showed me his like capability of freeze drying fruits and vegetables. I had mm. no clue about nutrition by that time, but it was somehow fascinating. And it was a coincidence that I had the same week a dinner with a guy who runs um, the biggest vending um, company in Europe where he serves like 15 million coffees every day. And he said, wow. hey, how can I get more healthy drinks into the office environment? Mm. I said, well, I met a guy, you know, just like a couple of days ago who can actually deliver a, a powder where you can make great drinks out and, and, and maybe create a vending machine and get this into your distribution network. And, and that was actually when the idea was born. But in the same time, I came in contact with a company in San Francisco called Ammunition. Mm. So Bruno and his team, they made um, the Beats headphones, the mm. design of everything there. And um, we were sitting with him and talking with him about a collaboration, how they could work on the design for the vending machine. And it turned out very fast that there might be even a play in the, in the B2C world where we create a device which you can actually carry around with you, mm-hmm. like a mobile blender. And um, yeah, we actually started to work on the, on the mobile blender side. And, and that was then also the time where I said, if I really want to do this and, and, and if you want to do this right, then it's just time for me and my family to move to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And then it was between San Francisco or Los Angeles, but 
it's also like um, lifestyle, sun, which is like this whole <laughs> workout environment. I mean, Santa Monica is Venice is just so great. So we took the decision to start everything down here in Los Angeles. Unbelievable. It's I'm like exhausted thinking about that, thinking about like you've started so many companies before and, and you know what it takes and, and you're going to throw yourself into it again. It's it's incredible. Dude, it was horrible, especially when you came to the US. I mean, you live in you live in two worlds. You still have like the German companies going because they were not like by that time just like managed completely by themselves. So I was really like on one and a half, two years on three hours a night. Wow. Jeez. And you said, you know what? I got it in me to do another one. <laughs> it's incredible. Very cool. So this kind of came from this, from an intersection of, um, and that, that's funny. I'm, I've just finished this book called Range. I don't know if you if you read it or not. It's a, a really interesting book about how most people who start companies have this cross-disciplinary background and have sort of like a foot in a bunch of different types of businesses and, and disciplines. And that sounds like that's where Vejo came from. Is just you have a broad, diverse network. You were able to pull something together, and the idea came about. Totally, like to just like follow up on that what you're saying because I underline it's just like because I had a conversation with a friend of mine about that. And I said, dude, why did I have to take all these twenty-one years of pain building these companies, and now with Vejo, I'm so laser focused just on this one mission. And mm. and but I need actually everything what I learned over the last twenty years, and mm. so it was to take the pain because now you can just like use this everything to really build something huge yeah amazing so had you built anything specifically in the b2c world prior to veha i mean the fashion company was actually sure, something sure. just like pretty close to it and and when you create a fashion company it's like seriously for seven years just like if you build the brand it's just tough to get the brand really positioned into the wholesale and all that stuff mm. and after year seven or eight, it starts to make somehow fun, but it's just a long journey. And 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 this is also like what I see. If you if you, if you pick a job again where you build another business, it's like you have to commit yourself with seven to ten years. Mm. I mean, some of us just like get it way more faster and sell it potentially or whatever. But if you start a company, commit commit just a proper period of time to the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, that's. I think that's something that a lot of our founders miss. We'll have people come and pitch an idea, and they have a, a two or three year time frame where they think they'll be able to build something up and flip it. And um, Funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of living proof that, that that might be a pipe dream. So I think that the, the next thing I want to talk about is so you have this idea for Vejo. You it sort of like marries together the freeze dried uh, capabilities, uh, the nutrition, I guess, trend or movement that's happening. So what do you do next? And, and then of course the, the actual physical, um, container and, and maybe this is a good time. Um, I didn't actually let you uh, do this before, but maybe it's a good time to explain exactly what Vejo is. And then we can sort of work backwards as to how you got to this point. Mm. I mean, we created like a, it's, it's a mobile blender, which you can carry around with you. The mobile blender is connected to your phone. And, and we have like this little, uh, Keurig, size capsules where we can put in just like different kind of powders we started at the beginning with we call them lifestyle plants so mm. it's like these in, in different variations very green smoothies to very tasteful um tropical or banana strawberry um smoothies which kids like a lot and what you actually do is like you just add water into the blender you put the capsule on top you run your blend and you have just like healthy um, access to nutrition everywhere where you are and like i said the design was designed together with the ammunition and it's just like super beautiful and very inspirational when other people see it, they come over and ask hey what, what is that and, and the more people taste it so the process is very important for us everything is picked on the peak of the ripeness and frozen within one hour wow 
put it into these little pots and the pots are just like vacuum sealed so it's just like the product when you drink it it's it's like i mean i would call it the second best choice the best choice is you just go to the tree you put the fruit and you eat it mm -hmm. we are right after that it is really beautiful i was looking at it uh on on the website and actually bought one but so i i guess the the question becomes like how did you get from that point the ideation point to where you're at now so you decide that you're going to do this you decide you're going to move the family go all in how are you thinking about next steps and like who did you think the initial customer would be and how would you reach them i think the first thing was like that that i under just like digging into this whole topic of nutrition is realizing that I had no fucking clue. <laughs> it's like um, the impact of nutrition on a human body. What is that? So, so we tried to really take it serious. And, and I was meeting like three, four years ago, just like a lot of doctors around the globe and, and tried to understand how this whole interaction between nutrition and, 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 and the metabolism really works. So we started two and a half years ago, a program called VO plus, it's like our really athlete performance personalization program. So we got like um, world champions, Olympic gold medalists to give their blood to us. And we have like, we have own doctors and stuff. We analyze the blood work of these people. And based on all the information, which we saw, it's like 150 biomarkers. We start to tailor um, nutrition plans for these athletes, but also fill these capsules in a, in a personalized way. And then after three months, we just like did a remeasuring of the whole thing and just realized that we can really move the needle for these kind of athletes. And that whole thing was already like, you know, when, when these guys were in contact with other athletes, they just spread the world. And, and from there, I just like got calls from different kind of athletes from different kind of sports. So mm. this is the suddenly play Griffin called and said, Hey, are you the guy who's doing this personalization program for athletes? And can I do it? Mm. And, and. I felt that time just like two, 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 two years ago, like like more like a drug dealer because suddenly <laughs> I got more and more calls from people which I don't know, and then it turns out that it's actually some guys who are really leading their um, their sports, and and that was like also for me just like first great customer group. So we tailored this whole personalization process uh, together in a product, and um, we sold it just or, or still sell this, this this program to to a lot of people, and and that helped us a lot to understand what you actually put in your body is just like what you actually get out of your body, and and how important it is, and 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 now we have like a huge uh, database where we store all this information from the blood work, impact of the nutrition, impact of the supplementation, what we're doing. And that's actually the secret source of the company. So this helps us to formulate every part what we are actually doing. So what we say is like every formulation which we create is athlete proof out of our lab, which we actually run. Wow. So there's there's a lot to dig into there. That is an incredible story that I didn't, I didn't know about. So I guess the first thing, so it sounds like you didn't know a ton about this space and you decided, I got to learn. You started talking with doctors and you said, you know, the best way to learn was to get these top athletes to give you blood so that you could dig really deep into like what the first product should look like. How did you convince people to give you blood? It's like when, when you have these, 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 these world champion Olympic gold medalists, we had four of them from the beginning. That was more like, you know, I, I can be pretty convincing because mm. I, I mean, I did it first of all by myself. I'm the lab rat of the company. So I think everything was possible in self-measurement or giving blood measure something. I've done it all. And I'm 44 and, and I was still somehow able in, in the gym to hold up with these guys. So, wow. so I got somehow their respect and, and that brought them into, into this whole thing. And from there, it just like took off from itself. So, 
And now it's more like also just super important. And that, that was like also lesson learned out of all the companies. Imagine you have a fashion company in the past. Everybody wants to have product for free. So what I said from the beginning is like everybody who's wearing one of my stuff has to pay for it. Mm. The same bail. If you want to be in this program, you pay for it. And, mm. and that's just like it's, it's one of the, for me, very important things because people buy into something. And the moment where they buy into something and for these athletes, you know, the 10,000 bucks are nothing. But it's like they are committed. And the moment where somebody's committed to your product, you have a different relationship to the person. So was that, that was sort of the master plan all along was to have this initial customer segment of influential athletes who, if you think about the characteristics of a good customer segment, they have like a real urgency, a real buy-in to be as healthy as physically possible. So this is, this is actually a great place to start. And they're obviously incredibly influential as kind of cornerstones of the brand going forward. Super cool. And it's like also convincing them just like, you know, the moment where they try your product and they realize, wow, this is really, this creates a change in myself. That's the moment where they realize that this company is just like taking it very serious. And that's the moment where you get the calls and these guys ask to become an investor in the company. Oh, wow. And, and so is that sort of how you raised investment? I mean, we, we created this, this program where we gave these guys just like um, 250,000, just like ticket size to come into the company and, and, and be a part of the overall journey. And so that was just like maybe, let's say, five, six percent of the overall capital, which was raised. But involving these people in your journey and, and make them just like a part of the whole thing is so helpful because these guys or these people, they become really friends of the business. And to be also honest, just like they give you the, the best feedback, how you can improve products, mm. formulations of the plans, the way how you want to sell it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, looking through the partnerships, and I, I have a whole section of questions about partnerships later, but maybe it makes sense to talk about it now. I mean, you have partners from Manchester City to Kevin Love. So these are like really influential top end athletes and organizations. How do you how do you think about one, like creating those partnerships and two, if you're somebody who who's maybe never started a company before and, and I get lots of people who are starting things in the fitness space or in the particularly the health and wellness space who this type of partner would be, you know, company making for them. How do you go about creating those partnerships? I mean it's all about, you know, it's it's it, when we dig into this athlete world, we, we, we really focus on all that stuff. Because we realized this will be the DNA of the company and also the credibility of us. And it was never that we reached out to the teams. It was more the, the other way around. So Vincent Company, he's the captain or he was the captain last season for um, Manchester City. He came in contact with the product and he loved our banana almond, which is just like 10 grams of protein with some just like freeze-dried banana inside. And so on, and he just liked the product. And we suddenly got an order from Manchester City and we said, hey, we need three devices and just like enough plans for the captain. Mm. And from there, spread it like into the team. And then um, the partnership guys called us up and said, hey, um, we are really intrigued with what you guys doing. And, and is it possible to have a conversation about partnerships? And then it's like when you have one of the big teams over there, then the other teams are getting interested too. So we established um, a personalization clinic of VO in London and in Cologne, Germany. And once we were in conversation with Man City, um, Bayern Munich came to the table mm -hmm. and also 
teams from, from Germany, but what we try to do is right, we try to go for excellence. So we try to, to pick the partners which dominate their sports. Mm. There is another team from Spain coming in, in the next season, which will be just like also another groundbreaking news for us. Mm. So really get it done right now to, to, to be in contact and, and create these partnerships based on all the knowledge which we created over the last two, two and a half years. It almost reminds me of the way that Slack was able to grow early on where they would get like a small team or a couple of people within bigger companies uh, really hooked on the product and they were influential people within the company. And then it makes it so much easier to sell or or the company would come to them and say, we noticed that some of our employees are on this platform. We need an enterprise plan. And then once you, you go company to company. Yeah. Question on the product that comes up. So you've got a focus on and early on it was it it sounds like the product correct me if i'm i'm wrong was very personalized um almost down to the athlete in terms of what their pod would would consist of mm. how do you think about the balance between personalization and scale i mean for me this this whole personalization program i call it just the lab mm-hmm. that's right we 0.1 of our revenue stream mm. but the lab dictates uh, the formulations of the plans. So the moment where you, for example, together with a lot of athletes and, and you ask an NBA player for his average bedtime, it's like they say like 2.30, <laughs> 3 a.m. <laughs> and a lot of these guys, they already have family. So the couple of hours of sleep, which they actually get, they want to have the best quality of sleep out of that. Mm. And it was just like for us a, a, a super interesting journey to step in and create with these guys a sleep formulation and also just like test it and try it. And and once we realize that we can create a, a, a product which we can actually also market into the mass market, we test it first in our personalization environment. And once we see it works, that's the moment where we make bigger batches listed in the online store and make it accessible to everybody. That's so smart. And I, I mean, I hear about the customization stuff and I get so excited. Um, because I, I know it, it's probably down the road, but I'd love that sort of thing for me. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a influential professional athlete. Um, yeah, but this is like the overall goal for a company because what, what, what we realize is there is down the road an opportunity to create an offering where personalization of nutrition becomes affordable. Mm. And, and for everybody, through a shift in technology, how you take the blood work and, and, and how much blood you actually have to take. And for us, the game plan is just like, you know, we will have so many just like data where we can just like give projections on maybe less blood work about what's the right pot for you and what are the supplements you actually need to be a better self. So you're building a product that will sort of compound on itself, get better and better to the point where you'll yes. be able to spread personalization to everyone. Exactly. Very cool. Um, so something that comes up a lot with, uh, again, with our early stage founders who are, who are making something, particularly in the food space, is how do you assemble that supply chain? I, I don't think you'd, had, you'd ever assembled a, a, a perishable food supply chain uh, previous to, to Vejo. How, how did you go about doing that? I mean, this, 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 is, this is related to another question about how do you build your cap table? And mm. I just, I'm not a friend of the venture capital world. I'm a friend of strategic partnerships mm. and the guy who I met with this food and beverage ingredients company, he became just like one of the early partners in this whole journey. And when you look at our cap table, we are just like filled people out of the industry. And I try to deal usually not with the venture capital arm of the company. I try to deal with the owner of the whole thing because, you know, you don't want to deal with the CEO of a strategic partner because they change. Mm. The guy who owns the company will stay with you. So... 
I have just like some some powerful people out of the food and beverage industry as a part of the cap table, and I can leverage my business based on the experience which they have in their industries. And that helped me a lot to build like um, the whole supply chain because it's it's quite complex to build a device and to the device just like full filling lines, the molding lines for the pots. That's that was that was challenging, but we mastered it through just like people which have been involved with the company from the beginning. That's really cool. It sounds like you have a really good introspective view of figuring out and understanding exactly what you are exceptional at, figuring out where the blind spots are, bringing in the best people for those blind spots and operating in in like a way with a long-term perspective. Yes. Very, very cool. I mean, this is also a lesson learned just out of the past. You know, when you, when you have an idea and you run around and you try to find some money to make the first just like steps, and, 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 and you're sitting already in front of these venture capital guys and you try to get some money out of them. It's just like not worth it. If, if you need your 250 or 1 million, just go to, to, to find it in your environment. Mm. Find people who really buy into the idea. And if your idea is not good enough to stand just like for friends and family, just like throw it away. It won't work. Huh. That's so interesting. <laughs> it's funny because we spend a lot of time thinking about that and and whether our early stage companies like how they should think about capitalizing a product early on and that's probably something they should think about if it's that hard to raise money from strategics or non-professional investors then is this really something you can get people excited about exactly and you know i mean i've been there very super stoked when you sign a term sheet and, and you get some money from from people who never build a business by themselves and, and are very risk-ors, you know, just the moment, it's like when you buy a boat, the moment where you sign it and, and you buy it, that's the moment where you enjoy it. And after that, you have it. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had the moment to buy a boat, but maybe someday I will. Um, <laughs> so this is a business that is obviously you, you have a really good top line structure of internal operations and you have influential people and high-level athletes using this. How are you thinking about spreading? Are you going to use traditional DTC channels? Are you thinking about leveraging your wholesale, sort of wholesale background, granted in the clothing industry, but how are you thinking about spreading this to a bigger audience? This is just like, I mean, this is where we are right now, Mm. you know? And this is like what drives me just like every day right now, figuring out how we get this product, which is actually a new category into the market people get it and want to buy it because when you just see right now on, on online, I mean, we're getting better in making every day, just better how to videos about the product, but you know, it's, it's a new category. Nobody has seen a mobile vendor like that before. And, and, and even when you walk around with it, it's not obvious that this is Veo, the mobile blender, but the moment where people take the device in their hand and they run a plan by themselves, this is where like 40, 50% of the people take a buying decision. Mm. That's wrong. And, and what, what we see is like the moment where we start to create right now, just like pop-up stores all over Los Angeles is like, because just Los Angeles for us, it's just like a huge market. Mm. And then, and figuring out how pop-up stores work, how retail could work, how um, it's like the wholesale model could work. This is what we're figuring out right now. Yeah, it's got to be challenging. I think you brought up a really interesting point, and that's categorization. So we think about this with startups. People people generally try and look at something and put it in a specific category, and uh, that could be good or bad for you. What category do you think of Veho in? Do you think of it as replacing like if you think of everything as zero sum it's replacing like a protein shake or is it replacing like lunch or how, how are you thinking of it coming from this nutrition background now it's like we try to tell people hey whenever you have access to a super healthy lunch dinner whatever 
eat that, but everything in between, when you need a snack, when you want to have a soup, when you want to have a healthy smoothie, when you want to have a pre or post workout plan, when you want to have like a protein shake, whatever, then we're just like the most convenient alternative to everything what you find currently in the market. You don't need this huge blender at home anymore, all the mess and all that stuff just like disappears because the device is portable. So what you actually do is like, and, and the most heavy stuff is actually also not part of the product. It's the water, which you get, or the almond milk, oat milk, whatever. You get is where you are, and, and, and then you just add the capsule, you run your plan, and you'll be good to go. So imagine you're sitting in a plane, you just take a banana almond with you, and maybe if you have a it's just like an overseas flight. You take a sleep formulation, a sleep plant with you, mm. knock down banana almond, then you take the sleep formulation, off you go. And you don't have to eat the shitty airplane food. Mm. You know? so. Yeah, that's a very compelling use case. I was actually in, in LA maybe a week or two ago, and uh, the plane ride back was that situation where it sort of all spirals when you don't have something healthy. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I was also walking down that street in Venice. Um, yeah. I forget what th that sort of very big, main, popular, busy street it feels like that would be a really interesting place for, I, I understand what you're saying where it's like, you need to get it in people's hands and, and that becomes the challenge of, of any brand. Yeah. Like, you know, when you look at the main audience, which we have, it's, it's, it's the mom and how do you get into the hands of the mom? So, so it's like, we try to develop the device in a way that a kid can actually run the whole thing by, by himself. Mm. And, and, and you see just like, and look at a family, mom has no time, two kids, whatever, always on the run, on the go. This is where we feel very much home. You know. So I have a couple of questions about actually running an early stage company because you've you've got a ton of experience with it. I think one of the hardest things for first time founders, particularly, is how do you prioritize? Uh, is there a way that you think about prioritizing the early days of a company about like what you should work on at any given point? I mean, it, it's it. I think it also depends on on what kind of company you actually build. I really spend a lot of time in the beginning just on the product. Mm. So I try to stay away from all the complexity with the supply chain and everything and try to get really the product in, 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 in place and spend a lot of time with ammunition, working on the design with them. And also just like trying to, to keep the, the team in that time super small that I don't feel the pressure of like, you know, of all the payroll issues and all that stuff. Just like the more you're small, you can spend a lot of time in just like building your product in a proper way. And the moment where you scale too early, you become somehow behind the wave and I mean, you have to pedal like a motherfucker to just <laughs> keep everything going. So I think trying to stay in front of the wave by adjusting the structure to what you're actually doing right now is super important. The other thing is like the more you have the product, just like take the problems as they come and, and then don't overcomplicate complicate your day with, with problems which might happen somewhere in the future. Mm. So the problems which are right in front of you and take it step by step. That's an interesting one. And that, that sort of dovetails to another question I was going to ask about starting as many thing and, and working on as many startups as you have. Um, these are mentally taxing things. And that sounds like one way that you that you're able to make it a little bit of a lighter load from a mental perspective of only dealing with problems when they're actually problems as opposed to predicting problems or worrying about things that might happen. Do you have any other suggestions or advice for a founder who uh, is going to kneel, need to deal with some serious mental strife when they start a company? I, I think I read like 25 times the power of now. <laughs> <laughs> because I, what, 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 what you actually need is like, I mean, everybody around you will tell you it will not work. Everybody is somehow your enemy. I mean, you have your baby and everybody says it will never survive. But you love it and, and you want to make it work. And, and it's like, 
the only way to, to, to get this all done is just like that you find a way for yourself to just like get rid of all bad energy around you and, and stay focused and, and just believe in yourself. Mm. I think that's just like super important and because everybody around you will question everything what you're doing. So you have to stay consistent with yourself. And, and what I learned with Veo is, and this is like, which just tells me that this company will be just so, so awesome is it helped me to, to become even more focused, you know, because when you eat the right food, when you keep yourself just like going through, when you exercise the right way, your whole life will be way more balanced. And, and, and you can actually just like manage stress and mental stress in a completely different way. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, uh, I think we'll, we'll link to the book, The Power of No in the show notes. That's a great one. I think that perspective makes a ton of sense. So I, I'm a bit of an essentialist where I believe that most things that people do don't really matter. Um, and very few things matter an incredibly large amount. Do you think that there are any things that you've done in any of your companies that are very small, maybe in, in the amount of time that they took or, or some other way, but have given just an enormous output to the companies you built? Just like the, the, the core business, like when we look at Veo or when, we, when you look at a fashion company and the collection there, it's like you have to be just like brilliant with the product. And this is where you have to just like put your time and, and, and just like energy. In. Mm. And that, that's like number one. And then when you, when you look at, at, at a guy who wants to build business, obviously these guys like, like myself, we usually have like every day we wake up with a new idea mm -hmm. and, and we become somehow the enemy of the own structure. So, so my point is like, don't hire too many creative people who, who have tons of more ideas than you, because then you will be just a company with great ideas and nothing will happen. Mm. So it's more like you build and create a structure around you with people who support you in making your idea happen. Mm. And this is for me, like, you know, and, and, and also like, and this is like being now 44, I mean, I met now some, some brilliant young guys and, 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 and I just like get my ego under control and listen to them. But, but you need just like strong, strong people around you who, who keep you focused because you as the entrepreneurial guy with your great creative force, you would just like be able to just like kill your own structure every day if you're not somehow caged from, from good people who just leverage the best ideas you have. That is fascinating. I, I haven't heard that perspective yet, and that makes a ton of sense. Um, really interesting. So on, on that team piece, I guess just one more question on that. If you were going to start a company and you're going to make your first hire, what, what is that person? So we have so many people who start companies on their own and they're trying to figure out how to start to grow. Um, who do you think is the most valuable employee for an early stage company aside from the founder? And that's so interesting for me, you know, building companies in Europe and, and now being able to, to build something here on the, on the West Coast. is like you find people who already were part of a young company or startup. You know, it's just a different mindset here on the West Coast than it is in Europe. And my first two hires was like um, Tony, the CTO, and Sheila was running business development. It's like these guys were just like already, Sheila built a company by herself, yeah. you know, and, and, and Tony was part of as CTO in Five Young Stars. So these guys, they are, I call them builders, yeah. they're not managers. And it's so hard to find builders in an early stage when you, when you create a company because nothing is defined mm. and people need structure. And you have to actually find people who can work in an environment which has no structure and are able to build a structure with you. And the moment where the company grows and, and you need managers, but in, you need this kind of DNA in the beginning where you have people around you 
They start a day with a white piece of paper and they create something. So they're able to build something with you. And then, I mean, once the company is getting just like, you know, grown up, you have the structures in place. That's the moment where you use then the builders in a different part of the company because you still create new business. But everything what's established is what you overhand to managers. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. So as this is more of a selfish question, because I'm trying to do that now, trying to, trying to kind of execute on that now with the company I run, Tackleboxes, is there anything that's been helpful creating that structure early, whether it isn't a structure and maybe someone has been operating um, sort of fast and loose and just kind of going from one thing to the next? Is there any framework that'll be helpful to start to create a structure around that? I don't have a, a, a blueprint for that. Yeah. It's more like everything is so fluent in the beginning. Mm. I, I just know like builders are the one which you need in the beginning because you have so many moving targets and, 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 and you have to put them on moving targets and they help you to, to make them just like solid. And, and then you hire somebody who manages your process and you just move on. So it's more like when you have this young company uh, don't hire an experienced guy out of the industry. Find somebody who was part, just like my main question would be, have you been number two or three in a company before which became successful? Mm. Because there are guys which help you actually the most mm. in the beginning. Cool. And they solve everything what you actually asked for, you know? That's mm. my point. Makes sense. Um, and there's a there's an article I'll send you after we we get off. But there's a study done, and the average you keep mentioning you're 44, and I think uh, a lot of our a lot of our listeners tend to be people who have had a career before and are thinking about you know starting a company as sort of a second career. The average age of a tech entrepreneur uh, who has been successful over the last I think it was 15 years, the average age is 45. Um, mm. So it's not just a just a 22 year old's game. I think the last question that that I'll ask is around advice for early stage founders. You've obviously got a wealth of information. Is there anything that you would tell someone who had just quit their job to pursue a startup idea um, that they loved? Anything that you could tell them that would be helpful? I mean, it's, it's like you have this great idea and you want to get it going. You better have the energy just like, and, and the commitment for the next couple of years to, to, to go through this whole stuff. And, 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 and for me, it's really like, doing it with with a lot of positive energy and, and and find super fast people which you can convince that this is just a great idea and these people share the same kind of energy with you and just stay away and it's it sounds so simple and i stay away from people with bad energy mm. stay from people who want to make you a check which never make money by themselves mm. just find people who know what it is be the guy who's in the fire who make the money by themselves and just take the money from these guys because he will help you to, to build a company early stage. Christoph, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll end with what your favorite, uh, your favorite flavor of, of Veo is and, and everyone should go out and get it. Yeah. I mean, I work out a lot, so I take a lot of the pre-workout mm. pot and I mean, staying with the kids is like banana strawberry is just like fantastic. Nice. That's awesome. I'm, uh, I ordered mine the other day. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm trying to work out a lot more in the new year. And I think this is, this is exactly what I need. Thank you so much. This was, this was super, super valuable. Thank you. I hope this was as helpful as I think it would be. Head over to gettacklebox.com and click podcast to get some more detailed notes. And if you made it this far, please toss us a subscribe, a rating, and a review. Thanks. Have a great week.